Hi, honey. I miss you so much. Hi, Mom. I miss you, too. Oh, hey, baby. You come at just the time. I'm just in here making gumbo. I bet you miss my cooking now, don't you? Oh. You know I do, Mama. Hey, Mom. Hi, wait, I look terrible right now. Do we have to screen time? Mom, you look fine. Okay. I was calling because I just wanted to let you know. Mama, I don't want you to get upset. I, I won't be able, able to, to come, come home for Christmas, Christmas this year. year. Oh, honey, you do not need to come home for Christmas, okay? I just want you to be safe. Really? Thanks, Mom. Yeah, and I guess since you won't be coming, I'll just throw your stocking in the fire. Mom? I just don't think it's safe. Okay. Let's talk about this later. When? When you've changed your mind. That's when you get to come home. I just don't think it makes sense for me to travel right now. If you don't love me, Marie, just say so. Oh, my God, Mom! I didn't raise a coward. I uh, totally agree about Christmas. But I do need you to come home tonight. There has been an emergency. Because I actually put all your old stuff in bags, and I'll need you to tell me what to donate. So what about your first christening dress? Is this a keep, or...? You know, your mother really misses you, right? I know, Dad. Are you not getting that? I know. I know. Is your heart not working, baby? This is your mother here. I can tell. Oh, my God. Look at that. Your first track meet. Remember how fast you were? How fast you were when you ran away from me halfway across the country to Chicago? And should I get rid of it? Great. We're being safe. We're even quarantining in different rooms. What? Why? For safety. Hi, sweetie. Your daughter has decided not to come home for Christmas this year. Oh, that's okay. We're going to miss you, pumpkin. No, it's not okay, Ray. Uh, no, it's not okay, and you need to come home. Fine, we will fly to you. Mom, no. Why, it's fine. I will quarantine in the plain bathroom. Great fix, darling, and Daddy will wear his racquetball goggles to keep the virus out of my eyes. How about that? That's not how it works. What if I died in a plane crash? That's a great point. And that was the last thing you said to me. Think about your dead mother. That can't happen if you don't fly on a plane. Oh, my God, the worst just happened. I've had a fall. Mom? I know you didn't fall. You laid down very gingerly. I saw the whole thing. Ray, aren't you going to say anything? We love you unconditionally. No, not that. We love you conditionally? Just tell me what you want me to say, I say it. Are you seeing what you've done here? I hope you're proud of yourself. You guys are insane. I never visited my own mother enough. I guess this is my punishment. Mother and I are being super, super safe. Oh, that's probably Bob. Yep. Excuse me. Who is Bob? Oh, Bob is Sophie's uh, frontline worker husband. Bob, come in. Get in here. You guys, masks off. We're cool. Please get these people out of your home. And I guess that's why I don't get to have a family for Christmas. I didn't realize okay. how much Calm I like to be by myself. Ah! What's happening? Good morning, Storyline. How oh, I wish we could be together. Yet, I, I want you to know that we are determined to make the best of what we can do. And that begins with trying to create a compelling online gathering here each week. And I have to tell you, this is a real communal effort. For example, that opening video, which is so funny. I mean, who hasn't had that conversation already, right? Well, about a half dozen of you sent me that video this week. I mean, anything to get through this. So thank you for that. Now, speaking of that, getting through this, after the gathering this morning, I want you to stay tuned for a couple of important announcements about some upcoming opportunities that we have um, going into the heart of this winter that we think could be really good and fun for Storyliners. So please stay tuned for that. 
Now, I want to start this morning by just admitting that the admission I'm about to make, I'm not sure I could do if we were in person. This may be one of the first times that I'm actually glad that we're in a pandemic because I've heard from a lot of you about coping mechanisms that we're using. And the truth is it often isn't pretty. And I don't think I could admit to you some of the coping mechanisms that I have in person. I, I get it. You know, when a convenience store greets you, when a convenience store clerk greets you by name and asks you if you want the usual and you get so embarrassed that you buy Rocky Road instead of Oreo ice cream, you may have a problem, just to use a random example. But Lisa and I have been struggling as well, along with everybody else. And so I'm just going to say it here and now to this camera in this room all alone. I'm not proud of it, but the truth is Lisa and I are deep, lost, like hopelessly addicted to Survivor. Now, we keep saying we can quit anytime we want, but we are now well into our third season of binge watching this show. And if I'm really honest, I don't even want to quit. This show has been on the air, and I did not know this, for almost 20 years. I've seen it advertised, obviously, for years, hear people talk about it all the time, and never once have I watched a single episode. But eight months into a quarantine, having suffered through, I mean, enjoyed every romantic comedy on Netflix, Survivor has felt like a reprieve. So we turned it on, and I have to tell you that we barely find the willpower to turn it off in order to go to eat or to go to the bathroom. It's sad, but it's true. If you haven't seen the show, please don't start. It's a cruel and addictive slave master, but there is something about people living together again, like seeing that, witnessing that. They're in this community. Even if it's divisive and devious and dysfunctional, I keep finding myself wishing I was on a desert island with 20 people I can't trust trying to throw a banana into a basket on top of a dolphin's head before anybody else can. I'm fascinated by my fascination with this show. Like, what is going on in me? And I think it's pretty simple. It's all the isolation. Any form of community looks good. And so, as we prepare for Christmas and hunker down for this long winter and try hard not to think about how soon this might be over, I want to invite us to consider this. Real life is going to begin again. I mean, at some point. And is it possible that by falling into this just get through it or survivor mode that we're missing out on something? Now, I get it. The fifth episode in a row of Survivor is like this metaphor for just get through this and survive. But there is another mode. There is another gear that we could choose. One that recognizes that as much as we hate this, there are opportunities here in this moment for us. You know, in many ways, it reminds me of a waiting and expectant mother and what they go through, growing literally more and more pregnant over time, who can't sympathize with a mother who's just ready to give birth, ready for it to be over. And so here we are, hopefully more than halfway through this pause in real life. And what I'd like to invite us to think about is how can we transform the rest of this pregnant pause in real life into a time that we can look back on and someday say, that is when this really great thing happened in me? Is there something 
some opportunity, something God may want to grow in us so that he can give birth to it through us for the sake of the world. I mean, that's the Christmas story, right? That's Mary's story. Do you know that of all of the heroes in the Bible, including Jesus, Mary is the only one who doesn't hesitate. Now, that doesn't mean she wasn't confused and bewildered when she found out life wasn't going to go as planned. But unlike Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, who said things like, I can't do this, or God, find somebody else, or God, you have to have a plan B, right? When God approached Mary with the, opp- with the opportunity to give birth to grace, she says, may it be unto me as you have said. Now, how can we get into that mode, that frame of mind, that state of heart? May it be unto me as you have said. How can we get there and nurture some new life within us? I was thinking of that question when I ran across this really interesting article in the New York Times last week. And it was about the difference between isolation and solitude. It was a thought that never struck me before, but now I see it all the time. Essentially, the point is isolation is being alone when we're forced into it. And consequently, it causes us tremendous suffering. The best we can do is maybe grin and bear it, endure it, and some days distraction is all we hope for. Last week in my Zoom PE class at Lakeshore High School, one of my students asked, what day is it? And another student unmuted themselves and answered in this totally monotone, lifeless voice, it's Blur's Day. So true, right? In isolation, we are victims. We lose not just a sense of time, but also this sense of purpose and meaning to life. But solitude is different. It may look the same as isolation. I mean, we're physically alone, but solitude is the opportunity embedded in isolation. It is an empowered choice that we make to transform time alone from isolation to solitude. And when we do, a number of really good things begin to happen. You know, I've been noticing for quite some time now that while many of us are really suffering in us in, in this, there are a few people who are flourishing in this context. And here's what I'm noticing over time. They all have this same thing in common. They have reframed the obstacle of isolation and turned at least some of it into an opportunity for solitude. Like they're creating headspace and time. They're breathing in air to nourish something inside of them that maybe was neglected in real life. And they're letting it grow and form into a new type, style, framework, posture, stance toward life. One that they're going to have to give birth to. And I think it's going to be a good thing for the rest of us when they do. Now, this article in the New York Times said that solitude almost always includes some kind of physical activity and usually some kind of interaction with nature. And and I like those practical tips. I think they're really important, even critical, because engaging with nature like cements us inside this reminder that life is much bigger than just us. And yet I think the solitude that, that the life of faith and God's grace is inviting us into 
goes beyond just those practical tips. And don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that any of this is easy. I mean, we've talked about this multiple times since April. If this is hard for you, it isn't a sign that you're weak or that something's wrong with you. It's a sign that something is right with you. We are communal beings. We are literally made from, as in out of, one another. We are made for one another. Solitary confinement is considered torture for a reason. One of my dear friends and mentors wrote to me this week, and she said, the greatest challenge right now is the increased isolation presented by COVID. I love solitude, but too much isn't good for anyone. Still, I think there's a difference between isolation and solitude. And I do wonder that if we actually can beat back some of the isolation, if this season can be an opportunity by assertively trying to convert the isolation that focuses us, us on like the microscopic right here, right now, into solitude. Life lived more aware. Life lived not in a hurry. Tonight
Thanks, guys. I love that song. You know, one of the things that psychologists tell us, and every parent of every teenager will confirm, is that we are shaped by the people we spend time with, who are speaking to us, the voices we are listening to and listening for. Benjamin Hardy has called this the proximity effect. And this is so powerful that psychoanalyst Jim Rohn declared that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Well, that's an intriguing idea. Rene Girard is an anthropological philosopher, which is a real job apparently, but he goes even further with his concept of mimetic desire. He claims our desires, you know, like those things that we really want in life, the things that we want out of life, which we assume are deeply personal, aren't. Even our desires, according to Girard, are formed in us by those we spend the most time with. Maybe you doubt that, but think back to high school. I see it all the time as a high school teacher. These ki two kids start going out, this couple starts dating, and suddenly the guy likes hiking in Grand Mirror and the girls into video games. I don't think so. I mean, if you were to ask them, do you really like these things? They'd say yes, but these aren't their desires, they were given to them. They are mimetic desires. Here's where I'm going with all this. I'm wondering if we can slow down, stop being in such a hurry to just survive and get through this. Maybe we can begin to convert some of the life-sucking isolation into life-giving solitude, where we discover what God is saying where we sense he is truly on our side and where we become more like him and his desires become ours. You know, Lisa and I were discussing this this week and here are a few of the ways that we came up with to describe the difference between isolation and solitude. I wonder what you might add to this list. In isolation, we are a victim. But in solitude, it's a choice. It means we're a volunteer. Isolation makes what isn't, what's missing, the most important thing. Solitude highlights what is and what is always present. Captured or confined is the feeling we have in isolation, like the punishment of solitary confinement. But solitude is about being captivated, set free, by concentrating on our connections in life and our connection to God. Another contrast that resonated for us was the difference between being buried or like suffocated by isolation versus being planted and then nurtured by solitude. We came up with some others and I'd love to hear from you about how you see the difference 
between an isolation that we feel forced into and trapped in versus a solitude that we've chosen. Maybe an unforeseen positive about this pandemic can be finding ways to spend more time with God, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe this could help us to make God one of the most important people in our lives who can then, through the proximity effect and mimetic desire, really go to work on us. One theologian puts it like this, we become what we behold. The more through solitude we behold the grace of God, the more we'll look for it in life. And then of course, the more we'll see it because we're looking for it. And then the more we'll desire it, which means the more we'll enjoy it, which means the more we'll share it. And on and on it goes until the mimetic desire to live more graciously, more open-handed and open-hearted and more generously, more oriented toward the other and the flourishing of others becomes our deepest desire and our greatest joy. The song from this morning said, I want to love like you love. I want to see what you see, feel what you feel. Maybe in this season, by converting some of this isolation into solitude, that can begin to happen in us more and more. I wanna close with this one last idea about how solitude, the proximity effect and mimetic desire might serve us. I think about it like this. What we desire most is the desire of the one we desire most. I'm gonna say that again. What we desire most is the desire of the one we desire most. We are more familiar with this than we realize. This is little Zola Joan Cook, just over a month old. I met her for the first time last Sunday. Now, I haven't been able to hold her yet, which is just about to kill me, but she is gorgeous and perfect, takes after her mother, thank goodness. Now here she is with her big brother, Soren, who already loves her. But when Zola first arrived on the scene, it was an adjustment. I spoke with Mike more than once when he told me Soren is struggling. Every parent's seen this because more than anything, a child desires the desire of his mom and dad. And to go from an only child to the old child, well, even a toddler feels the loss of that undivided desire. Here's the deal. It's very difficult when life is full and fun and fast, when we're living in a hurry, to really sense the desire that God has for us. We lose it, we forget it, we misplace it. And isolation brings all of that crashing back in on us mercilessly. But solitude is different. It is a purposeful re-engagement with our only childness, with God's desire for us. Solitude is the choice, the invitation really, to convert isolation into a remembrance, a reflection, an awareness that God 
is very fond of you. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then when we look at the life of Jesus, we see him purposely living this way, choosing solitude over and over again to listen for God's voice. Planted firmly in that grace, nurtured by the desire of God for us, we can begin to see what God sees, feel what God feels, and love the way he loves. You know, maybe this is where Mary's total surrender to God, may it be unto me as you have said. Maybe that's where it came from. Maybe we can do more than just survive and get through this by transforming some of this isolation into solitude. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to be apart together. We thank you for the ways that you come to us in a still small voice, in a whisper to our souls. I pray that this week, today even, you will give us an opportunity, a subtle reminder to convert some of this loneliness, some of this isolation, some of this victimhood into solitude, where we volunteer, where we freely choose to slow down and listen to you for you, to make you the most important person in our life and let your desires be ours. But I pray for all of us, um, as we are all experiencing loneliness and isolation, this week remind us of how we can reach out to one another through a phone call, a text, some way to um, remind one another that we are thinking of each other. I pray for those who struggle um, with the upcoming holidays and um, the prospect of not being able to gather together. May we sense your peace and comfort through it all. God, as we log off this morning, I pray that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, real quick, a couple of announcements. If you are not receiving our Monday and Friday email alerts, you can sign up for them on our website, www.storylinechurch.com. And then you go under the Reach Out tab, and there's a place for you to sign up for those emails. And you'll get those every Monday and Friday. And in Monday's email alert, we are sending out an anonymous survey asking all of Storyline for some input on ways that we can connect as we move into the heart of this winter. So please look for that. Please fill that out because um, we're hoping for some um, ways to re-engage with one another as we move into the winter months. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Hope you have a great day and Merry Christmas.